For those of you who don't know me, um, I graduated to friend status today, so thanks for that, Amy. Uh, my name is Rod. My wife's name is Anna. We started a church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. <clears throat> and this morning, I woke up. There was like six inches of snow in my driveway. And I said, even if I die, I'm going to make it to grace. That's how committed I am to you guys. So give me some grace as I try to preach this sermon. <laughs> Just kidding. Thank, thank you for laughing at my jokes. Um, yeah, Anna and I planted this church called Edison Chapel in the Edison neighborhood of Kalamazoo, and we have seen, I think this is a great title, we've seen God do immeasurably more than anything we could have actually imagined. And I, I'll take you, we're going to talk through um, a Bible verse, but then I'm going to show you some pictures in a little bit and kind of talk through some of the things that are happening. Because when you do urban ministry, and where we planted chapel was, you know, the most, one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city and one of the most drug-infested neighborhoods in the city, and things we thought would just happen more slowly because you have to build trust and you have to work hard and there's people moving in and out. And the evil that's prevalent in the neighborhood sometimes can just make you feel so overwhelmed that you're like, why are we even doing this? And then you realize, oh, that's why most churches in Kalamazoo are in the suburbs. That's where the money is. That's where the people who want to go to church are. And that's where you can create these like um, momentum builds of excitement around things that aren't necessarily super difficult work that we're trying to do. And so when we did it, you know, you just kind of started on a hope and a prayer and you hope that God shows up. And when God did, it really kind of blew our minds. So I want to read through this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And it's, it's going to be two slides. And here's what Paul, it, for me, this is kind of the premise of Ephesians. It, it might not be fully, but Paul is telling the Ephesians that they need to understand something about themselves and who God is if they're going to step into this thing called church and life and ministry. Remember, this is to the church, um, the Ephesians, the believers. And so Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We'll just hold it right there for a sec. Paul is saying, and we get this confused a lot. Paul is saying, you've been saved by grace. You didn't do it. And the way that sometimes we can interpret that is by kind of saying, I know, I know, I know, salvation's of God, and how much of this is my free will, and how much of this is God's. And we get into these like intellectual gymnastic things and arguments with our friends about how salvation works. And it's like, was it my choice or was it God's choice? Or, you know, how does it come and what does grace mean? And, and the only way we end up kind of wrapping our minds around it is we land on the idea that, okay, you're the scum of the earth and you need to believe that about yourself. And then God saved you 
And so it turns more into a philosophical thing that, we, that we, we just try to put it inside of our heads by saying, okay, grace is bigger than what I can understand, so let's just assume I'm really bad, God is good, and he saved me so that I don't get cocky about this thing called salvation. But really, I think it's a little more simple than that. I think Paul is saying this. It's by grace you've been saved. You didn't do it. God did it. God did it because God is big, and God did it because God has a bigger purpose. And if you're going to step into that purpose, you're going to have to understand that you didn't get to where you are right now by anything of your own merit. God brought you there because the next thing you're going to have to acknowledge that God needs to bring you there as well. Are you following me? That's what I think the logic is. And I might be wrong, but Sung's not here, so he'll have to tell me about it later. Next slide. For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God decided to save you so that later you could walk in something that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And that thing is good works. And we can talk about how good works isn't just like tipping the Starbucks barista. But good works is engaging in the idea that the God who created the world and called it good made this planet to thrive and sustain itself on the generosity of the people who were given the authority to rule over this world. And that's us. And we're supposed to keep and make things good. And if they're not good, we're supposed to step into them and make them good, and that is a big challenge. But the reality is, the God who saved you prepared beforehand the opportunity for you to step into this good stuff. Are you following so far? Most of you are following. Usually it's like one person's nodding, and everyone else is like, eh, he's got a nice flannel. I want to share some pictures that are happening in Kalamazoo right now through Edison Chapel. Here's the first one. It is a house that we were cleaning out. That's Holly and that's Dave. And you probably won't recognize them because I'm not a great photographer and I only got the back of them in this photo. We decided that if our neighborhood was going to be good again, that God had prepared beforehand us to do something to help that happen, that in a neighborhood that is thriving and that is sustainable, people own their homes, we decided we need to be part of that process. Where people who do not own homes now own homes. Because home ownership, believe it or not, I know you guys are all from Ann Arbor and you're really smart, but I don't know if you knew this. 
the, us Kalamazooians know. If somebody owns a home who didn't formerly own a home, you might have just ended generational poverty like that for them and their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren. Because not only do they have a, a savings stored up in their home and something that's going to grow in value, but now their family understands that it's possible to own the place you're living. One of the ladies who's on the board for the LLC we started it, to, to help people own homes told us that if she hadn't previously gone through a program like this one, she would have never even imagined that it was possible for her, her to own a home. And now all of her generations think along the lines of owning homes and setting up sustainability for themselves and their families without just hoping that things will work out. Generational poverty cured like that. It's, it, it, it's kind of like an Apple Watch in a dark room. It lit up the whole generations. And now things are different for an entire tribe of people. What's cool about this program for us is we didn't have any money. But we knew that God had prepared beforehand for us to step into this kind of thing. And so some of you have heard this story before. We just prayed and said, God, you saved us by your grace. You prepared this stuff for us by your grace. You're going to have to do it. And God was like, now you have good theology, Rod. Now you've figured it out. That this, that this performance-based Christianity that you've been living in your whole life, now you realize I'm the one who did it, not you, and I'm the one who's going to have to do it, not you. And we get a call from a woman named Mary who says, I'm moving out of my house. I'm retiring. This house is too big for me. I do not want it to go to a slumlord. I heard what you guys are doing. Will you buy my house from me for $30,000 cash? And we say yes, even though we don't have $30,000 cash and her house is worth way more than $30,000 cash. And we stepped into what God had prepared beforehand. Now the house is paid off. The house has been closed. Money's been raised to begin renovating it. And I'm getting calls from people all the time saying, hey, I know a flooring guy who can probably get you LV something or other da, 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 flooring for at cost. Or I know this person who does construction and they want to volunteer their time. It, it, it's almost like... God had moved in the hearts of all the people beforehand so that when we stepped into the good works he had prepared for us to be part of, that it would all be taken care of. And it is all being taken care of. Next picture. This is, now, this is a park. The playground was not like that when we inherited the park. I don't, want, I don't want to like oversell the Edison neighborhood to you. You're like, There's, their slides are upside down. That neighborhood needs a lot of help. No, 
we took out the playground because it needs, that park needs a remodel. When I inherited that park from the city, trying to step into the good works that God had prepared in advance, the city just said, we want to give you this park because we don't want to maintain it anymore. And so when we inherited that free gift from God, we realized if, if anything's going to happen in this park, it's going to have to be God making it happen because this old playground is condemned. There's a frozen raw chicken leg on the slide, and there's trash everywhere. So we started to clean it up, and then we ripped that out, and that's the picture of us taking the playground out. Now, the park today is on what used to be the most violent street in the neighborhood. And there were a lot of drugs being trafficked through this park. And there's a, there was a lot of gang activity just on the street. Two years before we were given the park, I was walking that street with my friend Keith, and we saw how trashed the park was. The reason we were walking it is because there was so much like gang violence and gunshots. And there's little kids who live in houses on that street. So we're like, we're going to prayer walk this street and connect with as many people as possible so, so that we have a presence and then hopefully that, that gun violence can slow down or stop. And it did. But as we were walking by that park, we decided to pray that God would give us that park. And then two years later, we were given that park. And so as we rip out all of the playground and we're hopeful that God will intervene and give us something to do, there was a, a I, I call him a parkitect, but there was a park architect from Grand Rapids who loved Jesus, which I think is important for this story, who called and said, I will draw all of the sketches for your park and your plans for free. This is thousands of dollars. It's almost like God had prepared him in advance for the good work that we were doing in advance. And so he drew up this thing, and it's going to be crazy expensive, and we're not sure how we're going to make it happen. But after we remove all of that, I get another call from a landscaper who says, I've heard about what you're doing. I know where that park is. And I want to do all the landscaping that you need in order to get everything set up so you can install things. And, and then when it comes time for you to put in a pavilion, I'll bring in the sand and we'll make it flat. And when it comes time for you to plant new grass, I'll bring in the topsoil and we'll, we'll work it. We'll make it really good. And I say, Art Molder. That's his name, which kind of sounds like mulch. Anyways, sorry, I, tangent. I say, Art, thank you for all of this. Like, I appreciate you wanting to help. Um, I just need to know, like, piece by piece, how much is it going to cost us because we don't have any funds for it, and we just need to budget, you know, how much we need to raise. And he says, oh, no, 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 it, all of it will be free. I'm going to do all the landscaping for you for free. I'm going to bring in all the topsoil for free. I'm going to bring in all of the sand for free. You just let me know when, and you come up with a plan, and we want to be part of this with you. That's where we're at with the park right now. 
And it was almost like God had prepared art before. Am I, am I beating a dead horse or are you guys understanding? When you step into the things that God has prepared for you in advance, God seems to provide for them. Next slide. This is the infamous chess club that I told you about. And there's my son in the background who knows we're taking a picture. Nobody else is ever paying attention, but if you're going to take a picture, he's going to find a way to get into the middle of it. The man here on the bottom of the screen, <clears throat> on the right, his name is Frank, and he was driving by when we were playing chess outside, when we had just started the chess club, and he sat down and started playing chess, and we realized very quickly um, that he was better than all of us. And so I started to talk to him and, and found out that he was over a, like a 2100 rating at chess, and he was a tournament player, and he wanted to be part of what we were doing. And so Frank is sitting across from a woman who's never played chess in her life, and he's teaching her to play chess. The man in the red shirt, <clears throat> sorry about my, I don't know, I've got something going on in my throat. The man in the red shirt in the back middle, his name is Tim. And he actually lives four blocks away from the neighborhood, which is really close to my house. And he was leading a chess club called the Portage Chess Club out in the suburbs. And I was like, no, 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 Tim. Like, yeah, I, you need to lead that, but we need you here in the Kalamazoo Premier Chess Club. Because that's what I titled it on Facebook. And Tim said, absolutely, I'll be there. I want to help combat gun violence through chess. And Tim is a certified national master at chess. He's over 2,300 rating. And he's, he's probably trying to teach my son chess, but my son is more worried about the picture that's being taken in the moment. And Tim, the other week, this was actually last week, I've played chess for over 20 years of my life. And Tim shows up and sits down with a young man who's never touched a chess piece in his whole life. The kid's 15. This is last Tuesday. Tim spends 30 minutes teaching this young man how to play chess. And then Tim looks up and says, hey, Rod, he's good now with chess. But next week, I want to do some science and math with him. And I'm like, this is great. So Tim's like, so go play Rod a game. And I'm like... This young man's going to get baptized by fire. And then the next 20 minutes, I have to think really hard so I don't lose to a 15-year-old who just learned how to play chess 30 minutes ago because a national master decided to come into the neighborhood and pour into young people who are facing the poles of gang violence and drugs every single day. It was almost as if God had prepared Frank and Tim beforehand for the good works that we were stepping into. Next picture is of chess class at Tree of Life School in our neighborhood where Tim decided to come and play me on an oversized chessboard so he could beat me really badly and teach all of these kids during chess class. 
and that school was so excited to have somebody. It's the most fun class going on at that school. You'll just have to believe my word for it. The kids love it, and they'll be having a terrible day. A kid will be having an awful day. They'll be really out of control, Then I'll come in, and I'll meet them in the office, and I'll set up a chessboard, and it's like the Holy Spirit just shows up in the room. Next slide is of me and my dad in the mountains of Idaho, very far away from the Edison neighborhood of Kalamazoo. My dad's 75 years old, his name is Craig, and we were hunting elk. And lucky for the elk, we never saw any. Because he, at one time, was the 86th best rifleman in the nation. He's a really good shot. And I share that picture with you because for this whole sermon so far, I've been saying we are not just saved from something, we are saved for something. God intervenes in our lives and Paul tries to communicate to the Ephesians, God saves you by his grace so that when you step into something, you understand that God's going to accomplish that by his grace. But the story of that house and that chess club and that park and that chess class and the many, many, many other things going on at Edison Chapel right now, they back up to over 50 years ago when my dad is in Vietnam, when my dad is addicted to every drug possible. When my dad is being hurt and abused by the people around him from his childhood all the way until he's a grown man, when he meets my mom, when they're trying to make it to drug-addicted parents, young people, trying to find their way through life. And we all know how that story ends. At some point, everybody stops enabling them. In Kalamazoo, when I go to the gospel mission and I look around, I realize the definition of poverty isn't lack of resources. It's lack of people in your life who will intervene for you. Someone at the gospel mission doesn't even have a friend who has a couch that they can stay on. I have 400 people who would let me stay on their couch. And for some people, it reaches the point where there's just nothing left. And for my dad and my mom, it was getting closer and closer and closer to that, except for one pastor who happened to have his church across the street in this little town in Idaho, kept crossing the street, kept crossing the street, kept crossing the street, because he had been saved by the grace of God, and he realized that his purpose now was he had been saved for something to step into the lives of others who need to experience the grace of God. And I'm on a mountain with my dad in the middle of Idaho because Jesus intervened in his life and freed him from drug addiction and freed him from... I don't even want to go down the list for you to communicate to you all of the things that needed to happen for Rod Tucker to find himself in the Edison of neighborhood of Kalamazoo stepping into the works that had been prepared beforehand 
for me to do. God knew before I was born that this man, Craig Tucker, would need radically rescued in order for this young man to learn chess or for this family to own a home or for this park to become a place of peace that radiates peace and love and joy in what was formerly violence, violence, and violence. I think sometimes it's difficult for us because maybe we don't have a story or a testimony like my dad has, which I didn't even go into today. So we just convince ourselves, I'm bad and God saved me because God is better than me. And then we convince ourselves that now my job is to somehow like be nice to my coworkers when I go into work. And, and now my job is to save as much money as I can so that I can retire comfortably. I watched my own father take out his entire retirement and give it to a family just so they could have a leg up when I was in high school. And I thought, that's stupid. And then I thought, or he understands something that I don't understand yet. That when you're willing to be saved from looking at yourself all the time, that's what led to the drugs. That also is what leads to insane amounts of retirement funds. When you're willing to be saved from yourself by the grace of God and let God do what only God can do, God will transform you so that you can step into something radical that, that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And when you step into that radical thing, everything will be provided for you because it's the same grace that saved you that's going to walk with you into the thing that you're called to do. And most of us are too afraid to actually experience what immeasurably more means. And I don't say that shamefully. I am too. I don't say it like, you need to get rid of your retirement. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm getting at is that we live in a world, even our churches, we live in a culture that is so fixated on staring in the mirror, making ourselves look right, act right, be right, be prepared, feel right, be whole. We focus so much on making ourselves those things that we do not even lift our eyes and look out the window to see our neighbor. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, Listen, you're being made whole by God. You are saved by Jesus. God is doing that work in you. You're not doing that work in you. 
He says it to the Philippians. God is the one who toils. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God's the one who's doing it all. Stop thinking that it's you because it's not you. And when you can let God actually offer you that grace, then you can be put in a place where you can step in to the things that the creator of the universe prepared for your life long before you were even born. One of my biggest fears is that we will, we will miss that because we can't get out of the mirror room. Entire church cultures have turned their whole spiritual growth process into inner working. And there are entire communities bleeding out because of it. So Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved. This is a gift of God through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. For you were created for good works, which God prepared in advance. And the table is set. All you have to do is step into it. So the question is, what are the good works you prepared for for me? For me, it was, you know, at this season of life, plant this church, do this thing, take a lower salary, step into Edison Chapel and pour into this neighborhood and just watch God provide. And I had to die to so many things to get to that point. I had to die to church metrics of numbers. I had to die to being received by every pastor in Kalamazoo who didn't understand what I was doing. I had to die to saving lots of funds and cars and where I live. Like there's so many things you have to die to, but I'm telling you, friends, when you acknowledge that God's the one who does it all anyways, you can begin to step into him just providing all of it for the sake of others. So the question is, um, please don't hear me say like sell everything you own and give to the poor because I don't think God would ever say that. Joke. (laughs) Please just take the time to say, God, please show me where to step because you've prepared some things in advance for me. The things that are in advance for you, they're already prepared. They're ready to go. The chess players are ready to show up. The lady's ready to give her house away. The city's ready to give you the park. Just ask God where you're supposed to step. Because you're not just saved from something. You're saved for something. And that something that you're saved for is immeasurably more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. And it's really fun. So Jesus, thank you for Grace Church. Thank you for the expansion they're stepping into. Thank you that their heart and their mind is about 
how can we be here for this community? And so as they seek to step into immeasurably more, I ask that your Holy Spirit kind of gets in that rhythm with this place so that we're always asking, Lord, where do you have me to step? Because I want to step into the place that you've prepared in advance for me because I know that the provision is there. And I know that the people are there. And I know that it will remove me from the fear of needing to save up a big retirement and it'll move me into the space of having legacy and impact into people's lives around me because that is what you created me for to do the good work of keeping and making your world good again and so for that father we need your grace and we need to fill your peace and we need to understand that we're not saved by anything we've done, but we are saved and prepared for the good things that you've called us to do because of who you are and what you've done. And so I pray that we can get an estimate of that now. In Jesus' name.